The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 207 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. Thank you so much for checking in with us again this week. Uh, Before we get into this week's conversation, we do want to thank a new reviewer on Apple Podcast. The listener name is Addie Jane M., who uh, left us a five-star review titled The Best Podcast and left us the kindest words, and it was so cute. She actually said that she rates our podcast an 11 out of 10. Wow, thank you so much. These reviews really help people to find the show. Uh, This week, my guest on the show, Dayan Taich. Oh my goodness, what a story he has. And uh, I thoroughly enjoyed getting to know Dayan. He has been a listener to our show for a while now. He had sent in some comments before, and so I feel like I know him, which is wonderful. And then when I found out a little bit more about his backstory, uh, I had to have him on as a guest, and it is just incredible. Uh, His story as a a young man, as a refugee out of war-torn Bosnia, and just an incredible story coming up for you. And coming up this week in my Latter-day Life, it really is all about him. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And today here on the Latter-day Lives podcast, my guest has an incredible life story that has a lot of twists and turns, and I could not be more excited to hear it. Dayan Tahich, thank you. And so welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You have got just an incredible story that starts uh, on the other side of the world. But uh, first of all, we got to get to know you. And I guess it would start on that side of the world. Tell us where you're from and where you grew up, Dan. So I'm from Bosnia. Um, I grew up in a little city called Modrice. It's about 10,000 people. Um, about 35,000 with the county. So it's a smaller, smaller little town. Um, I grew up there. I went to elementary school there. Just started uh, high school is when the Civil War started, which was in 92. Yeah, and that was such a big deal. I mean, I remember it well. It was, uh, of course, all over the news. Uh, but can you give us just a little bit of the background as to what the Bosnian Civil War was all about? So the war was about uh, basically the same things that's happening in Ukraine right now. Uh, it's basically a territorial war. It started with uh, Bosnia wanted to, to separate, to be independent state. And Serbia, which is just another, basically another state uh, in uh, former Yugoslavia at that time, they didn't want uh, that to happen. And there was, uh, so Bosnia applied to to become independent and the U.S. and uh, European uh, Council, they approved it. And about two days later, uh, Serbs are the ones that attacked um, 
started shooting in Sarajevo. Tragic. Let, let's go back a little bit to your earlier years before the more difficult times. Talk okay. about life uh, for you as a, as a child growing up in Bosnia. Just like any, any kid, um, I like, uh, love sports. So every day, basically, when I wasn't in school or, or when I wasn't at home, I was playing soccer all the time because soccer is the number one sport over there. So I was playing a lot of soccer. I played a lot of basketball. I played volleyball. I was always outside with my with my friends. Yeah, just like any any other, basically any other kid, right? And from what I understand, you were not raised in the church. Is that right? No, no I wasn't. Not no, now. I, were you familiar with the church at all when you were growing up? Not at all. I I never heard of it until years when I came to Canada. Right? Okay. Yeah. So tell tell us about your family. How many kids were there? There's only me and my sister. Yeah. Uh, she is a year and a half older than me. Her name is Daniela. Her real name. She changed. Yeah. Her, <laughs> she changed her name once we came to Canada because people kept uh, mispronouncing it. That uh, she she kind of got fed up with it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's let's go to the the war time. Did you know this was coming? Uh, or, or did you think there was they were going to find peaceful resolution? I, I didn't think it was going to come to my town that far, because it started in Sarajevo, and Sarajevo is uh, kind of in the middle of a country, right? And I'm up in the northern part of uh, Bosnia, kind of close, uh, probably about an hour from uh, Croatian border. Mm. And I honestly didn't think it was going to, come all the way up there when I was uh, when I was going to school one day I I could hear bombing in the distance and I decided to go to school anyways so I used to walk to school because it's a small town I was just walking with my friend and uh, there was a bunch of these uh, tanks and all whole bunch of different uh, military vehicles already in town because the bombing was coming closer to us that these uh, army was, they were gonna, they were just there to protect us from, from the, if just in case that it comes this way, right? So they were Bosnian tanks. Yes. How how long after the initial attack in Sarajevo did this did this happen? I was gonna say probably within a week or two. That fast. That, that fast. Yep. Once uh, I've seen these vehicles, I told my parents, and obviously they seen it as well. Basically, a day or two days after is when me and my sister left. Wow! Only so two you you knew that was coming. Oh yeah. So yeah. so what did your parents tell you? I mean, you were you were in high school. You were kind of at a, a strange age. You weren't an adult yet. Yeah. But you weren't a small child. I was fourteen, fifteen at the time. 14, 15 years old. What, so what did your parents tell you about this time? So they told me uh, that we need to get out of there. It's just me and my sister. My mom and my dad were going to stay there just for a couple of days, just so they can pack up our stuff, the clothes and some of our belongings, right? We were going to meet up uh, in Serbia, of all places, in the enemy territory, right? In Serbia? Yeah. Because my aunt, my dad's uh, sister lived over there. 
the first place that he thought of, why don't you guys just go there? And yeah. We'll, we'll meet you there in a couple of days once they pick up their uh, some of the belongings and we'll meet up there and we'll be all together. One of the things we're seeing right now in the conflict between Russia and Ukraine is there are families with family members in Ukraine and in Russia, you know, they consider each other almost countrymen. And mm-hmm. that's been one of the interesting things about it. Was it similar with Bosnia and Serbia? Um, like before the war, we were, we were like this, right? Yeah. So we were all close. Uh, my family, just because uh, the war happened because the Serbs invaded us, uh, they never changed their uh, point of view about us, mm. right? We all loved each other. It's just a certain people that didn't like the idea. Uh, the higher up people, yeah. like generals and the president, right? They didn't like the idea of uh, Bosnia being an independent country. So did you have a lot of neighbors who were preparing to flee also? Um, I'm sure I had. I at, at that time, I didn't really pay attention too much to it. I just, I just wanted to kind of get out myself before so you I, wanted to leave oh yeah oh yeah I, what? I mean i wanted and i and i didn't want to i didn't want to leave my friends and my the rest of my family but i had to leave because i didn't want to get killed right right of course yeah i mean that, how do you sleep at night knowing after seeing tanks i mean how do you lay in bed and sleep exactly. um how scary was it though i mean i remember when i was 14 15 the thought of leaving without my parents would have been really frightening. I mean, did, did you feel the mixed emotions with them staying behind? Oh, yeah, I definitely had mixed emotions. Uh, but I, in the back of my mind, I was thinking that they're going to only be a couple of days and they're going to be back. Mm. Right? A little, little day, you know, the border closed between Serbia and Bosnia. As soon as we crossed the border... It closed, so they couldn't come to us. How did you get across the border from Bosnia to Serbia? Uh, bus. By bus. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Was it so? How weird must it have been, knowing you're crossing into Serbia, as a Bosnian? Yeah. Were they were they checking passports? Were they? The thing is, it wasn't a physical border because at that time it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't the actual border where you have to show your passport and stuff. Mm. It was just, a, you know, you know where the border is. It's just a town, right? And you cross yeah. and, you're, and you're in Serbia. There was no nobody there checking our passports or anything like that. So the buses were just let through just fine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and then you arrived at family. You, yeah. you stayed with family in, in Serbia and it was just you and your sister. It was just me and my sister with my aunt and her family. You said the border closed very shortly after that? Yeah, the the border closed and my parents couldn't come. Their next move was to to pick up their stuff and to go to Croatia because my dad had another, he had a brother in Croatia. They did that, but they couldn't come to us still because the borders closed with uh, Croatia, so they couldn't come to Serbia either. But they were able to go to uh, Croatia and stay there for, I would say, like six months before they were able to, before we made that plan to meet up somewhere else. 
Yeah. So they couldn't get into Serbia and you couldn't get, could you get out of Serbia if you, if you had tried? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All I, right. I couldn't go, I couldn't go back to Bosnia or I couldn't go to Croatia, but I could go somewhere else. In okay. Country, but you couldn't go to Croatia either. So you couldn't get uh -huh. through either, either of the borders really. No, nope. no. Nope. Okay. So what did you do while you were in Serbia? I mean, you probably weren't going to school, I would guess. No, no, I wasn't going to school. I was just basically um, hang out with my cousins. Um, my aunt was, and my my aunt and my uncle, they were um, vendors, like street vendors. Mm. So they would go to Romania and they would buy cheap clothes and stuff like that. And then they would come back and they would sell it on the street and on the market for a little bit of profit. I ended up going with them all the time to mm. help out sell whatever they had just so they can uh, survive so we can all survive i guess wow what a difficult time so you were able to reunite with your parents where did you end up meeting up with them so once we left uh serbia uh me and my sister went to hungary and we stayed in a refugee camp there it's just over the border so basically probably half an hour across the border there's a little town called mohaj and we stayed in a refugee camp actually my my aunt from croatia she came to hungary because my parents couldn't cross because they didn't have a passport mm. so they uh she came over and she set us up into the refugee camp which was basically uh this building with a two level two level building um I don't know how many rooms. It wasn't a big building. It was, uh, you had two big rooms on, on either floor, right? mm. two huge rooms. So it was just big communal type living with lots of beds. Yeah. We, we, we hear a lot about refugee camps and we're hearing a lot about them now, mm -hmm. uh, certainly with, with what's happening with Ukraine. What was life like in the refugee camp and how long were you there? So we were in two refugee camps. Uh, the first one, Mohaj, um, it was a gated uh, refugee camp. So you can't get in and out whenever you want to. You you get a permission because you're in a foreign country, right? So you can't really leave whenever you want to. So they give you these cards. And every time you want to go, you go to the guard because there's a guard up front. You go to the guard and he stamps your card. You go out for a couple of hours or whatever. And then when you come back, he stamps your card so they know that you uh, came back. So there, was, there wasn't much of freedom to do a lot of things there. And plus, I didn't know any Hungarian at that time, right? Right. So were most of, I guess, most of the refugees were from Sarajevo? Everybody, everybody that was in that refugee camp was from Bosnia. Yeah. So not, not necessarily Sarajevo, but... Okay, all Bosnians. Were you able to follow what was happening with the war while you were in the ref refugee camp? Um, there were there was a TV, but it's in Hungarian, so I didn't really know what they were saying, right? But we were able to talk to my parents and ask them if, what's going on. Mm. Yeah. So what would you do all day? I mean, you, you're there all day long in this small, confined area. What did you do? 
uh, twiddle my thumbs. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> were there many other like uh, 15, 16 year olds, people your age? Yeah. Yeah. Luckily there were. Uh, so because we liked soccer, uh, there was a soccer stadium kind of by our uh, camp. So we would go and we would play soccer. Uh, there was a big park right across from it. So we would go and just sit in the park. Um, we would go walk around the street. It wasn't, it wasn't nothing special, really. Yeah, yeah. we were there for, I was going to say, probably five or six months. Five or six months? Yeah, just in that one refugee camp. And then you moved to another one. Then we moved to Budapest. Oh, in Budapest. Okay. So before we moved to Budapest, my parents came over. So they okay. were they finally got a passport and they came and we met up at, in uh, Mohaj. Wow. All right. So did you learn some Hungarian? And uh, not much. I was, yeah. I was able to count basically and say hi. Yeah. Yeah. And it. After all that time, how was it reuniting with your parents? Oh, it was lots of tears. <laughs> I imagine, because I'm sure there were times where you kind of wondered, are we going to be able to get back together? Oh, yeah. I thought about that all the time because there were two times where the border closed and they they couldn't come to us. So I'm like, why would this be any different? So as we mentioned, you were not a member of the church, didn't know anything about it. Were you raised in a religion at all? Did you have a religion tradition? Yeah, uh, I was raised Muslim. Hmm. Yeah, so not very active, not active at all, basically. It was basically passed down to me through generations, right? So yeah, when my, my parents are Muslims, their, their parents were Muslims, and it just get passed on. So basically, as soon as, I got, as soon as I was born, I was a Muslim. So with how difficult the times were, and, you know, I mean... That's a lot to go through, Dan. I mean, I can't imagine the things you went through at that time. Did you have thoughts to turn to God or to turn to Allah at that, that time? No. Uh, no. No, not to Allah, anyways. Um, I knew that there was something missing in my life, but I, I never really thought to turn my heart to Allah at that time, simply because there was a lot of negativity around being a Muslim. Mm. Uh, from everybody, everybody thinks that every Muslim is a terrorist and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to live with that. We're in the second concentration camp. You're with your sister. You're with your parents. Were you already trying to get out and to find a place to emigrate? It wasn't until maybe 10 months in, uh, in uh, Hungary that my dad found this poster on the wall that says that uh, U.S. and Canada were looking for families to emigrate. And he just picked one, and he picked Canada, basically, just, just so we can get out of there. And they chose us. So, yeah. How long was that process? It actually wasn't that long. Um, I was going to say it was within a month we had we had an answer that, uh, that we were chosen. Incredible. Yeah. Ah, that's amazing, Dan. 
All right. So now here you are heading out from Budapest out to Canada. What did you know? What did you know about Canada before you went? I just knew it was cold. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Canada is. You're not wrong about that. It's definitely yeah. cold. So the whole family went together. Yeah. Uh, when you got to Canada, did you move in with a family? Did you get housing? Where did you go? No, actually, the government uh, set us up. Uh, in the beginning, we were living in a hotel uh, probably for a week or two. And then they set us up with. Uh, uh, townhome. Mm. So we had our own townhome, basically. Um, they were paying for our, for our mortgage, for not, not, for, not for the mortgage, but for rent and rent, stuff. Rent, yeah. Yeah. They were giving us money for food because we didn't have, obviously, we didn't have a job, right? My parents sure. didn't have a job. So they were basically paying for everything. And you were how old now? 16? I, am, I was 16 when I came, yeah. Yeah, when you came. How was your English? Uh, not good at all. The only English that I knew is from watching movies and from listening to music, basically. So I could understand some of it, but I could not speak at all. How about your parents? Could they speak English? Oh, no. Oh, None. They were even worse than me. <laughs> I can't imagine my family going to Bosnia, you know, or Serbia or Hungary yeah. And just all of a sudden, with no money, no connections, you didn't know anyone in Canada, right? Nope. So, no. so how how what do you do that first week? Like, what is the first week like for you <laughs> in Canada? There was a there was a mall right next to a hotel, basically when when we came to Canada. So we just went to the mall and we just walked around. It was it was middle of winter when we came. Oh, wow. It was November. I think it was November 23rd that we came, and it was minus 30 outside. What city were you in? Lethbridge. Oh, in yeah. Lethbridge. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that is a very, very cold area. So you just kind of went and hung out at the mall. Uh, what did your parents do? Uh, they, they were put into a class, English class, so they can uh, learn a little bit of uh, English so they can get a job. Uh, how long were you in the country before you um, got enrolled in school? Maybe three weeks or so. Mm. And they put me uh, they put me into high school right away. I took ESL uh, the first semester, and they just put me straight into the straight into normal classes right after I finished my ESL. How how quickly did you pick up English? Um, it was hard. It was hard the first, uh, the second semester. Not not until I started playing sports is when I uh, started picking up more. And um, for our listeners outside the U.S. and Canada, ESL is English as a second language. Yes. Um, but a lot of times, you know, uh, and at least here in the U.S., you know, a lot of the ESL is Spanish centric because uh, a lot of people come up from from South America. But uh, you know, here you had all these different languages trying to teach you English, but the people teaching you English, like they had, did not have a way to communicate with you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I can tell you that I was the only Bosnian in my class. <laughs> yeah, I would assume so. Yeah, I would think so. 
So your parents, after they took language classes and whatnot, what did they start doing for work in uh, Canada? They started working in the furniture factory. So okay. My, my mom uh, was working as a seamstress, and my dad was uh, assembling furniture, basically. So now you're in, in high school. Did you start to build a life? Were you able to make friends and and uh, kind of build a as normal of a teenage life as you could put together? Yeah. Yeah. In the beginning, it was hard because I was so quiet. Uh, I was I was actually bullied a little bit uh, right. in, my, in my second in my second semester in uh, my first year there. Nothing, nothing too serious. It's just uh, people making fun of me because I, I was quiet and wasn't speaking a lot because I. I didn't speak any English, right? Mm. It must have been so difficult, but you got into sports. Did you think this was going to be permanent or did you think you'd return to Bosnia one day? Uh, I didn't want to go back. So I wanted to stay. I wanted to stay there. I wanted to build my life here. My parents, on the other hand, they, they thought that they would come back eventually, but never happened. Never happened. No. So you get done with high school. What came next? So I went to high school. I finished, I graduated, and then I went on to college basically right away. I applied for criminal justice and I got in. I graduated from uh, criminal justice. What did you uh, want to do with that degree? I wanted to be a police officer. Mm, okay. Yeah. And because of my language um, and because I was young, I didn't take it seriously. Okay. I did, I did graduate, but I, after I graduated, I didn't pursue it really. I started working as a in a factory that where my parents worked. Mm. So I worked there for probably six or seven years. Oh, wow. Six or seven years. That's yeah. a long time. Yeah. And your, your parents stayed at that factory. They, they stayed until they, until my dad retired, basically. At some point, we know you came across the church. Talk about uh, how that came to be. Yeah. I, I met a girl. <laughs> okay, so I, I would say half of our conversion stories start with I met a girl or I met a boy. Like that is the great way to start a conversion story. Yeah. I met a uh I met my wife, uh girlfriend at a time, right? We met online. We started hanging out, and I at this time I still don't know, I've never heard of um church at all. And we started hanging out and I can I can see that there's something different about her, right? You you can just tell. You just know. <laughs> you just know. <laughs> uh-huh. She asked me, don't you want to know uh what religion I am? I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> really. <laughs> I I didn't mean it rudely or anything like that. Yeah, you just I didn't just, care. I just yeah, I just didn't care about religion. I I just liked her for whoever she was, right? At that time. She told me that she was a member of a church and uh, maybe three or four weeks into our dating that she invited me to come uh, with her to a meeting, to a church meeting. And Did, were course, you excited to go or were you nervous or you just went for her? I just, I just didn't know what to expect. I, <laughs> I just said, yes, out of impulse. I just didn't want to say no to her. Right. Yeah, sure. <laughs> 
So you go to your to the church meeting for the first time, and I think we need to remind people because I think we forget there was a three-hour block back mm-hmm. then. You know, so three hours of church. Did that surprise you that she goes to church for three hours? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So tell us, tell us about your first Sunday going to church. So as soon as I crossed the threshold into the chapel, the people just started coming over to me, just shaking my hand, hugging me, wanted to know who I was. And that was something different for me because I never experienced that before. Mm. Just that feeling of me coming in there for the first time and all these people just coming over to me and saying hi to me and being so friendly. I loved it. Mm. Like it was it, uh, love at the first sight, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. So then you get done with your first Sunday. You had a good experience. You you like the girl a lot. I mean, you know, we already had the spoiler alert that uh, she becomes your <laughs> wife. But then did you start taking discussions right away? Or what was the next step for your I, conversion? Yeah, I started soon after. I started taking uh, discussions at her place because I was really scared for my parents to find out. And this was after my mom passed away. So my, my mom passed away in 2008. Oh, okay. And I didn't start taking uh, discussions until, um, I don't know, 2012, I'm going to say, or something like that. Yeah, so that must have been really, that would be difficult for your dad to hear. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and That's what I thought anyways. So we were meeting at my, my girlfriend's uh, place. Um, had a lot of different uh, uh, missionaries come in because there, there was a lot of transfers or whatever. Not until two sisters uh, showed up and they were te- they started teaching me. Mm. I started, one of them asked me, uh, so we've been teaching you for a while now. Uh, are you at least thinking of getting uh, baptized? And I'm like, yeah, I, I'm thinking, but I didn't want to do it uh, until my birthday. I wanted to do it as a present for myself. I wanted to do it on my birthday. And I ended up getting baptized before my birthday. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm always curious about the first time you heard about the restoration. You hear about this boy goes and kneels in a grove and sees God and all these things. You not having a strong sort of religious background for yourself, how strange did that all sound to you? Um, I had missionaries tell me that story, and then they asked me a question, how do I feel about it? And I had no idea what to say. Like, yeah. None whatsoever. I was so quiet. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what to say. So they explained it to me, but I still wasn't getting it. It's not, not until... Close to my baptism is when I really felt love for uh, for God. Wow, that's so beautiful. Tell us about your baptism day. Baptism day, uh, it was a full house, basically. <laughs> there was a lot of missionaries. There was a lot of, uh, there was my, my wife's family there. Um, my family wasn't there, obviously. 
Never told so, him. So you didn't I, tell him before the baptism? After, it was afterwards that I told him. Okay. All right. How long after? Maybe a month. Okay. So not too long after. Not too long. No. I, so you got baptized, confirmed you are a member of the church. You're going now every Sunday with your still fiance at the time? Yep. Okay. So now a month later, you've got to go to your dad after all you've been through together. And you've got to say, dad, guess what? At the time, <laughs> I'm a Mormon, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so how did that go? Uh, it went pretty well, actually. Uh, he He said completely opposite things of what I thought he was going to say. He said, if I was happy, if that makes me happy, then all power to you. Incredible. Yep. And then you ended up getting married. I ended up getting married. I was married in the temple here in Karsten. Yeah, got sealed to my wife. And here we are. Here we are. Have you been back to Bosnia or the region since? I went once. How was that? It was different. It was, uh, I I didn't see a lot of uh, friends there. I saw one one friend from my elementary school. Mm. He recognized me. He was actually in a restaurant that I was in. I went there with my uh, with my cousin, and he was sitting at the table next to us. And I kept looking at him, thinking, "Is this is this my friend from uh, elementary school? Is it?" Wow. And then he came over to me, and uh, we started talking. Yeah. When you saw your old house, your old neighborhood, did it bring up all the emotions from that time? There was no house because it was destroyed. Everything was destroyed. Oh yeah, it was bombed. It was it was paved over. It was a parking lot for a building. How? I mean, how much did you just feel in your heart then gratitude for having gotten out? Um, a lot of gratitude. Um, yeah. Yeah. I. I'm thankful for my parents for sending us to to Serbia at that time, for sure. As much as that must have been scary, we talked about for you, I'm now thinking about through your parents' eyes. Uh, it would be very, very difficult for me to send my children away. Yeah, but I think it was the right one. Yeah. But if, uh, if I was to stay, I bet you anything, they would mobilize me into, into the fight. Yeah. Over there, over there at 18 years old, you have to go to the army. Right. Yeah. And I was kind of uh, close there. I was, I think uh, I was old enough to, to carry a gun and. Yeah. Or at least they wouldn't let you leave. I mean, if you were that yeah. close. So, yeah. so now as you're watching the, the uh, conflict that's happening between Russia and Ukraine, does it stir up memories and feelings from, from oh, yeah. your earlier life? For yeah. sure. I can't I can stop watching. Yeah. I, I watched, I wake up at two o'clock in the morning because I have a, I have four daughters and one of them is uh, three months old. So she wakes up, she wakes up at like two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. She wants to eat. So I grab her and I'll, I'll go feed her and I'll turn the TV on and I'll watch the news about it. Mm. And just watching those, uh, refugees going into Poland and uh, Budapest and yeah. Hungary there. It's basically exactly the same thing that I went through. It's, it's a huge blessing the way your life has come together. 
and really inspiring. You know, you're the first person I've talked to who's who's been to a refugee camp and been through this experience and then to emigrate into Canada and not only Canada, but I, for our listeners, uh, I've heard Lethbridge joked about as the, uh, the, the Provo of Canada. There are so many members of the church in Lethbridge. Oh yeah. There's Lethbridge and surrounding areas. Yeah. It's just There's saturated. Yep. Huge Latter-day Saint population there. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about your life now. You've got daughters, you've got, you know, what 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 are you doing now? What's your what's your role in what's your calling in the church? What tell us about your family now? Uh so yes, I have four daughters, uh six years old, five years old, two year old, and three months. My goodness, stay <laughs> on. You, you have got your hands full. That's, that's what happens when you get married uh, later in life. I guess. Well, I'll tell you something funny about this is tell us, we already had this discussion earlier, but tell us where you're recording from. From the church. Yeah, you're at the chapel. And I wasn't going to ask why you were at the chapel, not at home. Now I know why you're at the chapel yeah. and not at home, Dan. When I came home at uh, 4.30 from work, it was crying. Everybody was crying. There was, there was there was no way I was going to do it at home. I remember some of those nights where I ended up crying. You do get through it. It does. It does eventually come. You know, the kids get older. So, yeah. and then tell us about your calling at church. So I'm a young men's advisor. Awesome. Yeah. I'm sure the young men just think you are the coolest. They must love hearing your story. I hope so. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> Dan, this is just amazing. I mean, as you now are able to look back, can you really see God's hand guiding you and your family? Oh, for sure. I feel like he had hand in in everything that I did since I left. Mm. I left uh, Bosnia, for sure. It's just a beautiful story and and so inspiring, and I'm so glad we had this chance to to meet and to talk, we're going to wrap things up with the question that we ask all of our guests, and that is, Dayan, what does uh, being a member of the church mean to you? Um, I was prepped for this a little bit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't want I didn't want to write anything down because I wanted it to be from the heart. But the first thing that I think of uh, when uh, when I think of church is family. Mm. Uh, to be more exact, internal family, and I love, I love, love that I was married at the temple, that I was able to be sealed to my wife. Once I depart this earth, that I'll be eventually be able to uh, see my family again, mm. and also my mom because she passed away from a cancer in 2008. Uh, there is nothing more in the world that means more to me than to see her again. And just uh, the thoughts of me being able to do temple work for her eventually is, I'm loving that idea, right? I I, I can't wait to do uh temple order for her and for my dad when he departs as well. Mm. And that's what church means to me. 
He is an incredible saint living in Lethbridge, Canada, who escaped a very war-torn area as a younger man and now has this just incredible, beautiful life as a husband, a father, and so many wonderful things. Deontay H., thank you so much for sharing your Latter-day Life with us. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me here. And my special thanks to my guest and my new friend. I feel like Dayan and I are friends now. And uh, Dayan, thank you so much for your story and taking the time to uh, share it with us all. I was very inspired by it. Uh, this week in my Latter-day life, uh, you know, it's Easter. And uh, Easter is a wonderful time that we we all think about the Savior a little bit more. And I'm reminded of an experience that I had a few weeks back. I bumped into an old friend of mine. And it was a friend I hadn't seen in quite some time. And this friend of mine was really struggling uh, with something that was going on in his family, something specifically that was happening with one of his kids. And when he shared with me what was happening, it's major. It's something major that his family's going through. And it's taken a big, big toll on him, on, on my friend, on his family, And as he shared this with me, my heart was just broken for him. I could see how much pain my friend was in. And I am very rarely at a loss for words. I mean, being a podcast host, you know, you got to keep thinking of what can I say right now? And yet nothing, there was nothing there. And as my friend and I were talking and as I was grasping for anything to say, the only thing that came to mind was, how does the atonement apply to this situation? And suddenly it felt like the air changed. I mean, it just felt like everything changed. And that was the answer. And I looked at this dear friend, this dear brother, and my heart was just so broken. And I said to him, this is bigger than you. And this is bigger than your family. It's bigger than me. There's there's nothing else. This is The Lord is the only one who can handle this. And I could see it in my friend's face that he was trying to be a good father, a good husband. And he is, he's an amazing father and husband. He was trying to shoulder this. And I looked at him and I said, you can't do this. Like you can't. The price has already been paid for this. You've just got to figure out how to take advantage of this. How do you take advantage of what has already been done? He paid the price. You cannot shoulder this. And my friend began to get really emotional and teary, as did I. And we just kind of hugged and just kind of embraced for a while. And it changed everything. And all of a sudden, everything was different. This problem that was so insurmountable moments ago, which is still massive and still painful, but there was hope. There was a difference. And this friend of mine reached out to me later that night, thanking me again. And I was just there to remind him the same way he would have reminded me in the exact same situation. But sometimes when we get into these situations, it's hard to remember that the Savior is there. But he is. He's there for my friend. He's there for me. He's there for you. He is there in our lowest moments, in our darkest times. I loved hearing Dayan talk about uh, how the Lord guided his family when I'm sure that things seemed remarkably difficult for him. And that's the message of Easter. 
is that he is risen. And no matter how difficult things get, that he is risen. He has overcome these things. And I love Easter for it, and I love that reminder. And every once in a while, I have to be reminded also that he is risen, that it's all about him, that I can't take these things on myself either. And I'm so grateful to be a member of this church. I'm so thankful for our Savior. We have a beautiful painting that hangs here in the room where I podcast. It's a beautiful painting of an empty tomb. What an incredible reminder that he is risen. And it really is all about him. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much for tuning in again with us this week. We really appreciate it. The Latter-day Lives podcast was produced by Gene Chittister. Social media by Skylar Fleming. I've been your host, Sean Rapier, and I think that's all we got for you this week. So until we meet again, there is a great, big, beautiful world out there. Go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.